Ruth chapter 4, 13 through 22. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he had made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better than you, to you than so, seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Abed, Abed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's really, really good to be with you tonight. Um, Kelly and Adam, the music was right on. Thank you so much for leading us in worship and setting the tone for God to be in this place. I've looked forward to being with you. Um, this is the sixth week of the study of Ruth. Now, Adam and Robin Craddock decided to give me the sixth week after they've said everything about Ruth, and so I could just come up and say ditto, and we'll pray and be dismissed. Uh, our first daughter-in-law is named, I'm sorry, our first granddaughter, big difference. Our first granddaughter is named Sydney. And when she was about two years old, I was keeping her one day, and she, it was about time for her nap, and I took her on the sofa, and I began to read her story. Now, I, when I was a little girl, my dad told me stories all the time, and I loved to hear the stories that he told me. He was a great storyteller, so it's no surprise that I I really put a lot into my stories. Y'all have to come over some night when I'm putting her down. Uh, but I told her the story of the three pigs. And I got into it. I had the voices. I had everything. And I was thinking by the end of the story, she would probably get kind of sleepy. And But the end of the story, I got to the punchline, and she said, again, again. And so being a good grandmother, I told her the story again. And I got to the punchline, and she looked at me, and she said, again, again. Do you know what I'm talking about, you young moms? Yeah? You know, and, and it just illustrated to me how we should look at reading the stories and the Bible, that we should never tire of reading the Bible, that we should say again, again, and see what God has for us. Well, for the past five weeks, we've been engulfed in the book of Ruth. It's a small four-chapter book in the Old Testament, uh, one of only two books in the Bible named after women, the other one being Esther. 
And growing up in the church, I grew up with the story of Ruth, and I thought I knew it backwards and forwards. But the last six weeks of studying and working through it uh, with Adam and with Robin, as Adam was talking about, has really enlarged my perspective of, of the truths of this book. I've been able to see things that I have never been able to see before. And isn't that the beauty of God's holy word? That's the power of the Holy Spirit when you can read a story again and again and again and again, and the Holy Spirit shows something, reveals something to you that you've never seen before. There's, there's several ways to read the Bible. One is to read the Bible flat so that if you're reading the Bible flat, you open it real quickly to get a verse or two, and then you close it, and you use those verses to prove a point, something that you believe in, a conviction. The Bible says this, verse so-and-so says this, right? So that's, that's reading the Bible flat. The second way is to read the Bible with just the Old Testament. Now, our Jewish friends do this. Their Torah does not have the New Testament, so the life of Jesus is not real to them. And so that is reading the Bible with the Old Testament. The third way would be to do just the opposite. Read the Bible with just the New Testament and not the Old Testament. And if you do that, then you kind of lose out on all the prophecies that were fulfilled. And then there's one other way that I think we should read the Bible, and I actually think it's what God intended for us to do. And that is to read the Bible as a whole, cover to cover, as one story. And that one story is God's plan of redemption for all peoples in the world. All through the Bible, we find God using ordinary, courageous people to do his work, to accomplish things uh, that he wants done on this earth. And that work is bringing shalom back into our world in all of its brokenness, whole again, the way the world was meant to be in the eyes of God. Now, Sid and I grew up in the 60s. And this was real common to say, peace, peace. And we wore bell bottoms. Well, Sid, I have pictures, if y'all want to see afterwards, of bell bottoms. Uh, it, yeah, Jaron does, for sure. But shalom is so much more than we thought it was back in the 60s. Shalom is making this broken world, making it right again. And so if we had to rename the, the book of Ruth, we might even call it the book of Shalom. Because in this small book, we as the readers are privileged to witness the work of God in all of his glory, in all of his fullness, doing what he does best, restoring the world back to order, taking all the pieces of brokenness and making a life whole again. Adam and, and Robin have done a great job 
of exploring the book of Ruth in the last five weeks and bringing us to the place that we find ourselves today, the last study. We saw a woman, Naomi, living in the culture where women were only valued in their relationship with men. It was a male-dominated society, and, and women had very little worth. And we still find this a lot today in our world, don't we? Oppression to women. And even though America has come a long way, there's still reminders that women have not always been as valued in the eyes of society as God values them. What a contrast we have seen from Naomi in the beginning of this chapter and at the end. In the beginning, she had experienced this terrible personal loss. She had moved with her family, something that was unheard of in those days, moving in pursuit of finding food so that they would not starve her family. She experienced the most tragic losses. Um, she left her home the only place she had known, the only place where she had grown up. And she moved to some foreign land, and there her husband and her two sons had died, leaving her without any provision as she found herself devastated with only two daughter-in-laws from this foreign land of Moab. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when she was crying out to God? In chapter 1, verse 21, she said that the Lord had afflicted her. And for us, what that translates is Naomi gave us permission to cry out to God, just as Job did. God is not sidelined by our doubts or our questioning. He wants us to take that doubt and turn it into a dialogue with him. He wants us to turn it into a conversation with himself so that he can speak compassion and boldness and new promises into us at the place where we meet him, just as he did with Naomi. When Naomi was complaining to God, she was expressing to him, I want this before you so that you can bring transformation into my life. How many times do we stop before we get to that conversation with God? When we experience tragedies and, and difficult situations in our own life, how often do we think, God, you know, what are you doing? And then we don't continue to have that conversation. God wants to hear our, our concerns. He wants to hear us talk to him and dialogue to him. Our life circumstances don't have to determine our path. Sin issues do not have to slave us, and insecurities don't have to hijack your mind. And now in today's scripture, we find Naomi once again. Only this time, we are witnessing something totally different that we have not seen before now, and that's God's full restoration of her life. Naomi is now, at the end of the book, giving us permission to embrace Yahweh for bringing shalom back to her life, bringing back the peacefulness of the way that the world was meant to be. 
And so we find Naomi redeemed at the end of the story. Her life of brokenness is made whole by God, who is the hero of the story. We find her in the middle of supportive friends gathering around her, affirming her, reminding her of God's provision for her life, placing in her life a kinsman redeemer, a complete family, making good on his promises for restoration. He brought shalom to Naomi's life, making her world put back together again with full restoration of wholeness, the, the way things were meant to be in God's eyes. In the first few verses of our scripture today, we find that Naomi is back home in Bethlehem in this scene. Boaz has married Ruth. Um, God has allowed Ruth to conceive a son. And now Naomi has this grandson from Boaz and Ruth. Now, there's nothing like a newborn baby. Amen? Y'all out there? Amen? Uh, Sid and I were just blessed with a grandson three months ago. And I can't... I, I have pictures to show you afterwards, too. But, you know, I can't get enough of being around him because he's so precious and, and there's hope in a newborn baby. And, and I wondered how Naomi must have looked at her first and only grandson at that time and how, how she must have just melted with the sight of him. And all the women of Bethlehem, now these are her her friends that she had had her whole life. And these friends knew Naomi. They knew her story. They knew how she had left Bethlehem, how she had gone to, to Moab, how she had this great loss. And they see her coming back to Bethlehem, coming home, coming to a place of being restored by God. And and they, they like a lot of us, when new, newborns, come around, we all want to go see the newborn, right? We want to go take them diapers and stuff, but that's just an excuse to see the newborn. There's nothing like a little newborn. And so Naomi's friends come over, and they surround her in the house, and they're looking at this grandson, and they're patting her on the back, and they're just reminding her of how God has brought her through the worst part. And he has restored her life. You know, it kind of reminds me, this, this image of Naomi reminds me of the story in Song of Solomon. If you're familiar with that book, you know it's a beautifully written love story. It has been compared to the story of God and each of us. And let me explain that. In chapter 2, we find a woman who is parallel to each of us, and she is the image bearer of God. Now, we've heard that term before in the past few weeks, and there's this conversation going on between God and the woman, and in this scene, we find God telling the woman how much he loves her, and she responds with, I'm not very loving, there's not much love left in me. 
And then we see how God teaches the woman how loving that she really is, that she is in the mountain of hiddenness. And then there's a description of God being so happy. And we don't normally think about God being so happy that he's skipping over the mountains and, and swift as a wild stag. But God says, come close to me and arise to me. I have come as you have asked to draw you to my heart, for now is the time. You are beautiful. Verse 13, the day of destiny is bursting all around us. And what we find happening with Naomi in her home with this grandchild and, and with these friends around her, speaking truth into her, speaking into her that God's provision for her has come full circle, we see that destiny is bursting all around her. And we find at the end of our story that destiny is happening in Naomi. It's happening. It's here. Oh, Naomi, God says, I love you and I have redeemed you, says God. The story started out with Naomi, the book of Ruth, and now it's ending with Naomi. Naomi in the beginning was the empty Naomi. And now we find her enjoying her full fullness. The writer reports that she took the child, her grandson, her newly appointed kinsman redeemer, and she held him in her arms. And this child was so hoped for, and in a tender moment, this fragile little newborn snuggled peacefully next to Naomi as she nursed him. The destiny is bursting all around us. And, and even the women named the baby. Now, I find that interesting. Not sure where Boaz and Ruth were on this naming, but we're talking about a different culture. And the women wanted to name him something that projected who he was and God's providence. And so they named him Obed, meaning to work. Or to serve. And some, some theologians think it is an abbreviation for Obadiah, which means servant of Yahweh. But the writer is not finished with the story yet. Just as we are experiencing the sweet success of Naomi, the writer suddenly stops, comes forward with a surprise, a kind of, kind of, um, uh, final explanation point to the whole book. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So we see at the end of this book, this short genealogy quickly advances the times, time, the story's time phrase from a long time ago until recently. It tells that Obed turned out to be the grandfather of Israel's King David. This story of two struggling widows takes on a new dimension. God used Ruth, God used Naomi and Boaz in his plan of redemption for all peoples in the world. And that plan was for Jesus to be born.
Remember that we have been talking some in the past few weeks about God using ordinary people. So I can't help but pause here and think, you know, how do we see ourselves in this story? How can we as ordinary people be used by God to further his kingdom? So I spent a lot of time this week kind of reflecting over the takeaways of the book of Ruth. Um, As a former English teacher, I kind of thought of it as a new vocabulary because I love language and, and how it presents itself to be a challenge for us. And then I kind of pulled it back in and I thought, well, my pastor is a young 30-something and has tattoos. So I thought we might call it Tattoos Worthy of Inking. So we have a slide up to talk about these possible tattoos. So. Adam, if you come next week and have all three of these, um, you're my hero. (laughs) But these are the takeaways. These are the things that I would love for us to add to our vocabulary, to add to our lives, to to write them on the post-it notes and put them in our cars and put them on our bathroom mirrors and meditate about these images. And the first one is so powerful, and I don't think we really grasp how great it is. But hesed, hesed is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a, it's a brand of living. It's giving ourselves to our neighbors. It's an active, selfless sacrificial caring for one another that goes against the grain of our fallen nature. It's certainly not popular in a culture today, in a culture that teaches us, number one, take care of number one. It's all about number one. It goes totally opposite. Hesed, loving kindness. And we learn hesed from God himself toward his people. All you have to do is read the Bible, and you see God's hesed is all over the place. And then we, in turn, are to extend our hesed to those that we meet. I love this this terminology, Rob, and I found this this week. Hesed is a love that won't let me go. I love that. Simply put, as Robin brought up James's book, It is living out the gospel. How do we flesh out the gospel? This is the kind of love that should be in our marriages. This is the kind of love that should be in every relationship that we have with one another. Amen? The second tattoo, Adam, and you can choose your own font for this, but is image bearer, and this is something that that you've talked a lot about in the past few weeks, but image bearer. I I have to tell you, I'll bring my granddaughter back into it. Sydney will be five this week, and when I look at little Sydney, she, I, I tell her mom, she is a splitting image of you. In fact, so much that Sid and I a lot of times call her Misty instead of Sydney. She looks like her. She acts like her. She's the drama queen. She's the teacher. 
she, she's amazing, but she is the splitting image of Misty. And when I think how we are supposed to be the splitting image of God, we are all image bearers. Misty attends an Episcopalian church, and one of the priests one day said to her uh, and their congregation, challenged them, you know, with every person that you meet this week, would you see written on their forehead, made in the image of God, made in the image of God. We are all called to be image bearers. And Misty said she went out that day, and, and as she looked at people, as she got angry with people in Dallas traffic and wanted to not be the image bearer of God, she would look over at that person and think, that person is made in the image of God. And she said, Mom, it changed my whole attitude about the way that I treat people. We are called to be image bearers of God. And the last tattoo, uh, Amy, you might want to get this one too, but we're going to call that Blessed Alliance. I love this because this is, this is God's A-team. It, it's, it's not God's B-team, it's God's A-team. These are men and women as God's A-team called to join together in a blessed alliance in this global mission to fill the whole earth with worshipers of the living God and to rule the earth as he would with justice, mercy, righteousness, and peace. This blessed alliance can be fleshed out in marriage between a man and a woman. We have great examples of that in our church. Do you agree? Adam and Amy, Bud and Robin, Kara and Robert, Aaron and Jessica, and I could go on and on. These couples have come together, and in their marriage vows, they stand with Christ in the center, looking out at the world, and they become the blessed alliance for God. But it doesn't just stop in our marriages. It can be fleshed out in our missional communities. You know, I was down at, at Amy's the other day, uh, and, and Amy and Toby and Tyler and Kelly, I think, are all in this missional community. They are a blessed alliance. They are together working beside each other, not for number one, not to take care of each other, but to do God's will. And I see other missional communities out there that are, are getting together and working for this cause as image bearers as, as, and showing hesed in our church, in our communities, but taking that even further so that we show hesed in the grocery stores, we show hesed in the banks, wherever we are. We are image bearers of God. May we leave here today with these three words branded in our hearts, loving and serving God. So where do we find ourselves in the story of Ruth? 
Carolyn Custis James said, we have to take the truth personally. We can study God, but studying will never make us great theologians in itself. We have to learn to write our own names into the plot. The book of Ruth begins with deprivation, death, bitterness, and ends with hope, fertility, and blessing. Some of us here tonight might identify with, with uh, Naomi in the early stages of Ruth. Maybe we are in that space, that place of pain and hurting, and maybe we are wrestling with God right now. Others are in a place of being able to recognize that, that God has provided in the past, and he has brought us through to this, this place of redemption. He has brought us through difficult circumstances in our life. God will always be the subject of our theological sentences, but our sentences are incomplete until we become the direct object of his attributes. It is important when we leave here today, as you go through your week, it's important that we personally look at ourselves, that we personally evaluate where we are with God right now. Six weeks ago, uh, we began showing some videos of some folks in Providence who took the time uh, and effort to kind of write out a testimony. And, and we had talked so much about God bringing us from brokenness to wholeness, God redeeming us, God walking with us through the pain and the hurt. And these, these people came together and said, I want to share. Well, some of them said that. Um, actually, I coerced a lot of them. But, but anyway, they shared the, a part of their life. This is a part of our story they were saying, that, that I don't mind for people to look at because God is the hero in my story because God is the one who, who placed everything right. Britt and Mona Stiles right here. Both of them had a different video. Raise your hand. Britt being incarcerated for so long. Mona losing three children in a fire. Devastating. Naomi all over again. And look at them today. They are redeemed because of God. Amen? Amy Kahn sat at her home and told the story of growing up and, and not really feeling connected. And she shared, she shared parts of her story about how God had come to her as the Song of Solomon. I said, you are beautiful. Now's the time. Now's the time. April and Steve, I'm so glad you're here tonight because we sat in your home and we listened to your story of foster care. I mean, something that's so foreign to so many of us, and yet you guys, y'all just like jumped in with two feet. And through that, 
jumping in with two feet, God is blessing you. God is blessing you and your family with a blessed alliance of you guys coming together and furthering God's kingdom and how you guys are going to be such an inspiration to other people who might kind of be on the edge of trying to decide. I mean, there's so many foster kids in our world today in in America. How can I help even one? Thank you. Thank you for being able to share God is the hero of your life. And Aaron, you're up in the box, but I didn't miss you. Aaron, as, as we sat and as we videoed his testimony, and I, I just wanted to call him Saul to Paul, Saul to Paul, because this guy's passion for serving God is such an overjoy that, that the joy comes bubbling out. You cannot help but feel his intentional devotion, his intentional commitment to this man named Jesus. I thank you for that. Thank you for sharing your story. But guys, we all have our own story. And that's, that's what James was saying about we've got, to, we've got to quit reading this and we've got to put our name, Kelly, we've got to put our name in the story and we need to figure out what is God doing in my life and where am I now and how do I need my brothers and sisters in Providence to come along beside me to encourage me. God is the hero. We have one more video. Robin Riddell is going to share a part of her story with you tonight. Now, I have to be real honest with you. If I'd been coming to Providence for a month or so, and if I had just seen Robin Riddell, this is kind of my description. You know, Robin is not normally in the services. She is out in the ark. But I would look at her and I would say, oh, that Robin She's a church lady. She is the church lady. I see her every Saturday get up and usher those kids out. And she sits back there and she loves on kids. She answers their questions. She tells them stories about Jesus. Yeah, a church lady, she's got it all together, right? And then I sat at lunch with her one day as she shared her story. And it is a story of Naomi. It is a story of redemption. And she has come forth and said, I will share my story because somebody might need to hear it. Somebody might be in kind of a paralyzing position right now, and they really can't hear God. And maybe through this story, Maybe through this story, somebody will understand that God is calling them. You are beautiful. I am going to redeem you. Just look at Naomi. Look at what I did with Naomi. I want to thank each and every one of you who shared your story during this study. And for those of you who didn't, I still have my camera, and I'm coming after you. 
These people, all of them are here tonight, which is amazing. And I hope that if you've had a chance to see some of their stories, that you will go up to them and thank them for sharing the God in their life. Robin will share her story. To tell my story is to tell the story about Jesus. And it's just about love and forgiveness and grace because that's everything that has happened in my life. I had many days of hardship when I was growing up from the age of 8 to 39. So for 31 years, I had always had some kind of drama, sorrow, or just pain. I went from having a normal childhood to a very distracted and painful childhood. And I didn't have too many things that I can remember, and that's God's grace. He made it to where I could remember bits and pieces so I could share, but he gave me memories so I could share and let other people know that they're not alone. When I was younger, I was abused by my aunt's husband. It went on for a couple of years. And after that, we moved away, and I thought maybe life would be better. And then I got a part-time job to pay for some school clothes. So I was on one of my paper, tra um, paper route deliveries, and we were picking up the money, and there was this alley that we'd always cut through. And we were cutting through the alley, my cousin and I, and he was yelling at me to slow down. I wanted to get back home before it got dark. And so we were walking, and the next thing I remember was a car pulling up behind me. And three men jumped out and covered my head and threw me in the back of the car. I could remember looking up and seeing the telephone poles, and so I knew I was heading over into the bad part of town and I didn't know if I was ever going to come home or not. And all three of them had their way. And I thought that was the most torture that I would have. But it wasn't until I went back to school that I found out that those three men had people that were family that were going to my school. Cousins, nieces, nephews. And they tortured me even more, saying I was a liar, threatening me, beating with, you know, beating me up, and it caused a lot of pain. After a while, I just couldn't take it anymore, and I ran away. It's like, Mom can't protect me from this. Nobody can. So I ended up getting involved into a lot of things that I shouldn't have been able to get a hold of at that age. From the age of 18 all the way to the age of 39, I was manipulated into doing things I didn't want to do. Even though I was in a lot of pain and was not sure if I could ever come out of all the things that I was going through, God never left my side. 
He was always there. Even though I didn't acknowledge him and know him, he still protected me. He guided me, even though I felt like there was no one with me. Because I couldn't tell my mom the things I was going through. I couldn't tell anybody. So I felt like I was totally alone. And this was what I deserved for running away. And then God helped me get away from all the beatings. And I had to go through a battered woman, woman's syndrome clinic just to be able to recover. Because every time someone would reach to me, whether it was at work or whatever, I would flinch. And I was like, this is crazy. I can't, I can't live like this. And so they helped me understand and learn who I am. And that was the first time that I really started to like me. Because I never liked who I was. It was just a slow growth at that time. Things didn't change overnight. But God was by my side and helped and guide me. Looking back at it now, it's just unbelievable that even though I had no intentions of ever being a Christian, let alone loving others, that he would even take the time to be with me. Finally getting away from everything. And I said I wanted to move away from all the bad things. I was like, let me just start fresh in a new area. Didn't know where I was gonna go. I had either Texas or Florida. And for some reason, God was pushing me towards Texas. I moved down here. I met Bud. We were best friends for the longest time. I was to the point where I didn't want to be in a relationship anymore. I just wanted to have a friend. And Bud, because of his dis uh, lung disorder, he didn't want to get into a relationship. And so we were just going to be friends. And didn't know God had other plans. <laughs> Having us to where my life was blessed with someone that loved me and truly loved me and didn't want benefits from it, just that he wanted to love me. Then he brought me into Providence and I found that people can really love you without an agenda. And it was so odd feeling. I was always like, okay, what, what did they want? <laughs> but it was generally because they love, just as Christ loves. But and I got married in our backyard. We were baptized. And I think the most beautiful thing out of all of it, my mom, who never lived a day towards Christ, ended up proclaiming his name all the way to her death. She told me she wanted to know what made me so happy, what changed me. So that's when she started coming to church. God has always given me a outlet. I used to write poems and then I started drawing as an outlet to express some of the feelings and get them out. And so that's where I started using my art to help heal my pain. God forgave me. I was not forgiving myself with all the things that I was going through and I still had hidden. I figured people would judge me. 
and so I would just put it down on artwork. It wasn't until after God showed me through Providence that people don't judge. If they truly are, are loving and kind and a follower of Christ, they don't judge you. And so this piece was when I was feeling trapped and I was alone. I had nowhere to go. I didn't have anybody I could tell. I just felt that everybody was looking at me and I had no way to find how to get out. This piece is when I was on my own with my child. I had nowhere to live. I was sleep we were sleeping in the car. I would go to the bakeries and beg for their leftovers from the day before and would just try to feed my children the best I could without having to go back to the life I lived. This one is called The First Stone. This is how I felt that all my sins were burying me and I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. So I thought if I just get them out and show what I'm feeling, maybe I would have some relief and God would at least give me some peace and show me how he wants me to share these. But there's a Bible verse that has meant a lot to me through all this, and it's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. It was my mom's favorite, and she read it every day. And it's about love not being anything other than patient and guiding you, and it's not, it doesn't boast. And it just makes you feel so at peace, knowing that there's something like that, a true love, and that's where he's brought me today. I have never thought I'd ever have this kind of love in my life. I never thought I would have respect for myself, let alone love myself. It's just been very, very unbelievable. That's the only word I can think of that you can go from having a life of horror and just beatings and shame to a life of being rejoicing, even in all the things that you went through, knowing that this is not anything that we have to be worried about. These are things that help others. And if I had to change it again, I wouldn't makes my life meaningful. I have a meditation by John Philip Newell. It says, whichever way we turn, O oh God, there is your face. In the light of the moon and the patterns of stars, on sacred mountain rifts and ancient groves, in mighty seas and creatures of the deep, whichever way we turn, O oh God, there is your face. In the light of eyes we love, in the salt of tears we ta have tasted, on weathered continents, east and west, in the soft skin glow of a child everywhere, every which way we turn, O oh God, there is your face. There is your face among us. 
opinion. This is what I feel. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you so much for who you are and for who you are making of us. Father, we thank you for your scripture, for the story of Ruth, that we can find ourselves in that same story, Father. What better way to end than a true testimony of how you have brought brokenness all the pieces, and made them whole again. You have transformed another life. We thank you for Robin and for her being willing to share the story and that you are the hero in it. Amen. Would you stand if you're willing and able and let's receive our benediction as we go from this place and out into the world. So if you would just receive this as I read it over us tonight. Liberator, Redeemer, Emancipator, for your power that notices, your passion that descends, your freedom that liberates, we thank you. We hold in your presence all those bondaged in fear and despair, in poverty, in weariness, in crime, war, and violence, in narcissism and self-indulgence. Work your wonders among us. In your strength, in your gentleness, in your abiding love, work your wonders. Work your newness. We pray in the name of Jesus. Church, go in peace.